everyone, and welcome back to The Legend of Portalcast, a podcast dedicated to Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra, and all things Avatar. Uh, I am Colin, your main host, uh, coming at you today for part three of our Toph Beifang deep dive, and joining me once again is Kristen. Hello. What's up, everybody? <laughs> and uh, joining us for part three, uh, we have Kevin. Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, and we want to do a special shout out right now as well to our patrons because uh, we are doing a live stream of this uh, of this recording uh, to our patrons. So special shout out to Fran and Amanda who are tuning in right now. Uh, they are supporters of the show and we cannot thank them enough for uh, what they have been able to help us continue doing and all of the additional content that we've been able to pump out so thank you guys so much but uh if you uh, we're gonna do just take this moment to uh quickly plug if you are interested in becoming a patron getting early access to these kind of live streams or other additional content you can find out more at patreon.com slash legend of portalcast so we're going to get right back into this. Um, and uh, we got a uh, thing from Fran that says, Bumps chest in respect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we're going to get right back into our Toph Beifang deep dive. Uh, so just to kind of let you all know, if you haven't uh, listened into our previous two episodes, highly recommend that you do that uh, because we have got... Uh, some great discussion where we kind of follow Toph over the course of book two. Kristen and I have kind of been breaking down uh, all these different moments in uh, season two with Toph and her journey along the way. But today we're going to kind of change it up a little bit. Uh, instead of kind of just going through Toph's journey throughout book three, because she obviously isn't the main focus of book three, we kind of want to focus more on just some ideas and uh, kind of approaching Toph as a character and having the discussion be a little bit more freeform. So uh, we're obviously going to be keeping our principal things uh, in mind that we have been doing for this discussion. And that is first and foremost, Toph as the greatest earthbender alive. Uh, second is Toph as the daughter of a wealthy family. And third, Toph as a teacher. So, uh, first and foremost, Kevin, because you were unable to join us for our uh, first two, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, first just talk about any of the things based on what you listened to us talk about that you wanted to be able to add to the conversation and any other thoughts uh, just from what we had talked about uh, up to this point before we get uh, into today's discussion. Oh, having gone through it and thinking back on it again, I have to say, I, I don't think I gave Toph enough of the kudos that I probably should have going through the the show and it's also probably because my personality is very different from hers but taking in the appreciation of what she brings to the whole dynamic of the gang the contrast against katara the contrast against like ang's deference to being you know an airbender type of approach to situations and being like nope here's what i'm doing and i'm doing it <laughs> and i'm gonna do it damn good <laughs> um it, it's just really cool like looking at her as that like it, it's what the gang needed they needed that that strong personality to, uh, you know, on that kind of the spectrum of like, I'm going to solve this and I'm not going to just like dance around it. Because mm. Katara has a tendency to dance around emotions, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sokka has a tendency, to, you know, to kind of brush things off, you know, I, not like on the super serious things, but, you know, Toph just brings the, nope, no nonsense. I'm taking care of this and we're taking care mm -hmm. of it now. Mm -hmm. Well said. And I, I really liked her, I have to say, thinking back onto it, her episode on Tales of Boxing Say was such a great development of the fact that she isn't just this, like, you know, stone-headed character. She is, you know, she has a depth of emotions and um, and different feelings and how she, you know, wants to be. Mm. Yeah. No, definitely. And I, I loved revisiting that uh, Tales of Bossing Say with her so much that was such a wonderful episode i mean granted i went back and watched the whole thing and lo and behold 
found myself crying. I was about to say, how did, because uh, well, I was pretty much uh, you know, like halfway through that episode, it's like they gut punch you with iron. It's like, oh come on, oh, there's still half God. an episode to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most intense part about that episode is that you just like you're like, ah, oh, this is so nice, and then you're like. <laughs> leaves from the vine <laughs> oh, oh there's so uh, much sawdust in the room you guys are opening up some old wounds right now and I don't appreciate it <laughs> truly um, so before we uh, kind of dive into uh, that we also want to uh, Fran was also able to uh, kind of uh, chime in here on our stream she says uh, I agree from an outsider perspective uh, she does tell it as it is but she does have emotions too like the fact that she still struggles with her family relationship and dynamic, mm. um, which is absolutely what we're going to be getting into today. Uh, like we're going to be getting the, into that. After the comics, too. Oh, shit. Yes. It, it gets so deep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we're going to kind of uh, continue on. In today's discussion, um, I know you mentioned the comics. We are going to be keeping things, at least for this discussion, uh, for this episode, centralized on the show. Uh, we can always kind of go into anecdotes going uh, and touching on uh, basically, you know, talking about her moments in the comics if we want to. But for the most part, we're going to be keeping things grounded in the show. Uh, for the purposes of this discussion. Cool. So I, I continue to hype up the comics. If you haven't read them, read them. <laughs> yes, yes. I fixed that mistake a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, we're all in quarantine now, so it's just like, you know, th- there's no better time than ever uh, to get into the Avatar comics if you have not. So uh, the way we're going to kick off this episode is uh, we're going to first start off by reflecting on Toph's character growth over the course of book two, from her entrance in the Blind Bandit to the end at Crossroads of Destiny. So one of the first things I want to kind of talk about and give uh, you, Kristen, a chance to respond first is this idea of how you saw Toph change over the course of book two and how she didn't change. Uh, So looking at those two ends of the spectrum of character growth. And what you saw. I almost feel bad sometimes when you bring up new talking points because I'm almost 100% sure I already covered it because I talked my head off during all these episodes. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, you know, it's worth saying again, especially for anybody who hasn't heard the other episodes yet. Uh, Toph definitely is getting much better at developing her relationships with the team by the end of season two. It's obviously not perfect as we see in the third season, but she's definitely grown as an individual and is learning how to be a little bit more what's the word I'm looking for more malleable essentially a little bit better about not just her way or the highway but beginning to accept and consider other people's feelings and decisions because we see that in the very beginning where her stubbornness leads her to conflict and while she certainly Mm. isn't not stubborn anymore she's definitely still a very (laughs) hard-headed individual which as I've established I think is very important for her character because like Kevin said, they, this is her dynamic that she brings. They can't take that dynamic away and just turn her into a cookie cutter of the rest of the team. It's important that Toph stays Toph, but you don't have a good story without at least some growth. And she does have that. She's definitely getting better about communicating. She's being a little bit more open with some of the team. And especially as we head into book three, we definitely see her opening herself up a little bit more to her friends and discussing a little bit more some of the things that she kind of internalizes. So Mm. we definitely see a a little bit more of a more open Toph, a more considerate Toph who's not as self-centered as she has been previously. However, she is still the idyllic earthbender she is hard-headed she does she is headfirst about her problem solving and she definitely still speaks her mind regardless of what others think but she might (laughs) she might choose her words a little bit more carefully or she might be quicker to maybe not necessarily apologize but acquiesce a little bit more when others disagree with her so we definitely are seeing these things as we're shifting out of book two and as far as her character development goes Mm. Um, so how about you Kevin Uh, just kind of looking at the way that she changed and didn't change over the course of book two and some of your thoughts on that I love Kristen's points that she's done in the previous episodes and right there which is that 
now Toph is still that, you know, I'm Toph, I know what I want, I'm still going to do it. But now she kind of has a, a slightly broader range of emotional intelligence in terms of, you know, she can still get her way and still not have to, you know, retreat from her position. She might just be able to, mm. you know, get things done a little bit better with, the, you know, operating within a team environment um, mm. without still compromising, you know, and, you know, being like, all right, fine. You know, like she'll still do it. She'll just be like, okay, fine, do what you want. And then just walks away. <laughs> She's still willing to pull that card. Um, yeah, so I found I found her now being an individual within the team, her dynamic and the way she interacts is much more improved while still, you know, being tough. Mm. So, Kristen, what would you say surprised you most about Toph's growth over the course of book two? Um, and especially kind of revisiting it. Um, and the perspective you have now as an adult, you spoke previously about how you really identified so much with Toph, especially when you first started watching the series and how much you connected with her. So I know you kind of touched on it a little bit in previous episodes, but can you talk a, a little bit about what surprised you most about her growth over the course of book two, revisiting it now as uh, as an adult? I think one of the things that always surprises me most is her development with Katara. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try not to rag on Katara as much this episode, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, go for it. <laughs> well, you know, with, with classic things like sugar queen and Madam fussy britches, you know, there are some really <laughs> just choice one-liners that top dishes out, but you know, we've established they, they ultimately make a really great foil for each other. And I think that their development does tend to be the most surprising because even though the person who seems most likely to clash with Toph is Aang because mm. he's an airbender and because he has that, and we see it too when she's when she's trying to train him, that, that clash of personalities and the frustration that Aang feels in the way that she oh, yeah. teaches, you know, it seemed natural that Toph would naturally clash with Aang, but that's simply looking at it from a very simplistic earthbender versus airbender. They're two opposite elements. It makes sense that they would clash. That's a very easy conflict. And to be fair, with Aang's whole, like, goofiness, the fact that he is still very much mentally a 12-year-old, I think that's kind of what helps Aang get along with Toph better. Because when we saw in the chase, Katara's like, I'm so glad there's another girl around. You boys are disgusting after they had, like, put Appa's hair all fur all over them. And then Toph comes up and she's like, does anybody have a razor? Because my pits are hairy. Like, she she obviously is able to mesh really well with the very childlike attitude and the silliness of Sokka and Aang versus Katara. Because Katara does end up being almost the perfect opposite of Toph in that she tends to be very effeminate. And like I said, it's not that Toph necessarily denies that she's feminine. She just simply doesn't present it very well. It's not of great interest to her. So it, it does mm. tend to be on another side of the spectrum for her. And also that motherly attitude. You know, Toph spent a lot of time trying to secretly rebel against her parents and their overly parenting of her and their protect their protectiveness of her. And as we established early on, that motherly attitude is sometimes what brought out the conflict between these two girls. However, mm. I think what ends up being the kind of middle ground for the two is the fact that Toph doesn't have to hide with Katara. Even though their personalities clash, Toph still gets to be authentic Toph versus pretending mm. to be this meek, well-mannered little girl for her parents. Katara's acceptance slash conflict with her all comes from Toph getting to represent herself. And I think that as their friendship grows and they become more accepting of each other, even though they clash, Toph, you know, as we learned later in book three, accepts Katara's motherliness. It's not necessarily a bad thing in Toph's mind. Only when she's being authoritative does it become a problem. But it's, yeah. <laughs> it's the fact that Katara is accepting of Toph as she is. She's not trying to make Toph anything that she's not. She's simply trying to open Toph, Toph up to being more considerate, more friendly. She doesn't always do it well. Obviously, during the chase, there was, <laughs> there was a lot of conflict that came up that really led them to clash. But that was, again, in that very 
initial beginning when they were all getting used to each other. And obviously, once the chase is over, we see a much larger stride towards understanding and friendship between the group afterwards, even though they still come into conflict. It seems like the worst of their conflicts is is being passed at this point, even though more does come up later. Uh, I think mm, that definitely I do think that Katara's relationship with Toph is was the biggest surprise for me both then and now because <laughs> there are still times when I watch it and I'm just like girl you tell her how you feel I do not care <laughs> I still get to live through Toph and all the grief that she gives Katara but they they really did that very well because I understand that the story wasn't getting very far if Toph couldn't stand Katara and just left the group Obviously, they had yeah. to find middle ground. They had to make this group dynamic work, but you still had to be able to keep very authentic characters that were different from one another and still manage to find this middle ground. It's one of the many different stories they're telling all at once. So uh, if I had to say that was that was definitely one of the most surprising things. Yeah. And I mean, it's so important for especially having like an ensemble cast like this for you to have that conflict even within the group. Because if everyone is all hunky-dory and it, it, you know, you can see coming from a unified front, it, that's great. But I think that what, what can really be a problem sometimes is if you don't have that challenge to the group. Um, I, I think something that I always uh, think about when I compare a lot of these kind of group dynamics and everything is in Steven Universe when they start introducing Amethyst as this kind of uh, foil, especially to Pearl and a lot of the tension that starts to happen. Some of the, uh, you know, greatest writing and dramatic moments really come out of that dynamic, really kind of having uh, tension and conflict. Because in the very beginning of the show, it, you know, it seems like everybody's kind of all on the same front. But it, it, for something to be sustainable and for you to have growth and for the characters to change, you have to have them tested in that. And I think it is such a great example of uh, fantastic writing and why the characters of Aang, Sokka, Katara, and Toph are just iconic together. Because there is enough of that tension at points, but the connection and love and group mentality that's there really gives them just something that is, it, fill, it fills your heart with warmth. It's, it's delightful. Um, so for you, Kevin, what would you say surprised you the most about her growth over the course of book two? Surprised me the most about her growth. I guess the surprise really is, you know, obviously now that we've seen it and especially again, you know, not to dip into them, but going to the comics, just how bamf of a metal bender she becomes. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, it starts where you're like, okay, you know, yeah, it's this girl. Okay. She's the greatest earth bender. Fine. Um, but then, you know, as we'll, you know, as we dove into at the end there, I mean, once she starts getting the metal, bending, you're like, oh my God, like her growth as a bender is incredible. And already, you know, we knew she was the pinnacle, but then she goes off and invents her own type of bending. Like, <laughs> mm. And how cool is that? They end a season with metal belt bending all of a sudden in the picture, and you're like, oh, this is going to be really cool. Yep, she moved the bar on us. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. She, You know, <laughs> yes, she was awesome, and then she became awesomer. Yeah. So that's one of the things I really want to kind of move on to next, is this idea as Toph as the defining symbol for book two. Obviously, book two is named Earth. And I think that, you know, when you look at what happens over the course of book two, the really touchstone moments, Toph is always right by them. And she is very much a huge part of why the narrative moves forward in an impactful way. So I want to kind of get from you guys. How would you say that for this season that is named earth how would you say that toff defines this season and what her biggest kind of contribution would be obviously she's the instructor for ang she plays a huge part in a lot of the battles that they fight but what would you say is kind of her defining contribution to the season 
uh, looking at the show as a whole and looking at this season as a whole. I'm going to let Kevin go first just so that I don't rant and take up all the time. Oh, well, (laughs) this is what we're all here for, though, is is your top commentary. (laughs) Um, Mine, I'd say... her being involved doesn't necessarily fully do this. I mean, the whole season is a little... It The whole series takes just a darker tone. Um, it kind of went from being a... Like, the first season... I love the first season. Um, especially, you know, for the storm and on. But it, even the, the finale of the season one, it wasn't, I would say, dark. It was serious, but it wasn't as dark as um, season two. Season two, it just gets a little bit more... I'd say, like, real and gritty, and it's that, like, she herself is a grittier character, um, but she, and the rest of the season, it just takes on a different tone in the series, and having a character like her that isn't necessarily, you know, quote-unquote, fun-loving, or, you know, goofy, or something like that, like, she she is a more serious character in a more serious season. Mm. Mm. How about you, for, uh, for you, Kristen? There are a a couple of things I think are worth touching on as far as uh, what she brings to it and especially what she brings to it as an earthbender. But I I definitely say the first and foremost thing that she brings into it is obviously we've talked about her chemistry in the group, how she brings a new dynamic to the group and she really changes things up. And she also adds, as we discussed in the very first deep dive, this is a character who is unlike all the able-bodied characters in that she does have a very different life and very different perspective due to her blindness and how she had to learn earthbending. And of course there's also her upbringing. She's the complete opposite of everybody in that she grew up in wealth and comfort, even though it caused her a great deal of suffering. And all of these things accumulate together in what has become the iconic earthbender. And I think the coolest thing she brings out of this is we see specialties within each form of bending. Not quite as much uh, airbending because, of course, you know, there aren't really airbenders, but we do get to see the (laughs) with the guru, we see the more spiritual aspect of things, which was probably more accessible to airbenders as a spiritual group of people. But within waterbending, we have healing. Within firebending, we have lightning. Earthbending Mm. doesn't really have that specialty until Toph, and she actually brings two of them to it. Often when people think of the specialties within earthbending, they think of metal bending and then later on the lava bending. But I think a lot of people forget that Toph brings flexibility to earthbending because they gave her that special form of Southern praying mantis style martial arts that gave her Mm. her own unique flavor. Because when we look at the Hungar style that earthbending was modeled after, and it's very stiff, harsh, especially lower body movements that are very heavy, Toph, while she is heavy, is also on the lighter side as well of earthbending, which suggests that you don't have to be heavy-handed, even though it feels like that's exactly what Toph is. We see her, Mm. you know, deftly moving her feet around, quietly and quickly moving her body and flowing through movements a lot more gracefully than how we traditionally see earthbenders. And so Toph actually helps us kind of redefine that stereotypic picture of the earthbender in a way that Katara and Aang don't necessarily do, or Zuko and Azula, they don't necessarily bring that to the table yet. We do get some new things in book three that kind of help flex at the very least our views of water with bloodbending and fire when they go to the sun temple. But here in the earth book, I think Toph is the first character to really help redefine an element and a style of bending for us in a way that we didn't expect. And so I think that's what Mm. she brought to book two. I would definitely agree. And, you know, uh, one of the things that we were going to kind of jump into next was talking about how, uh, you know, with Toph expanding the definition of earth bending with metal bending and uh, how that compares to as at least we as the viewers saw Azula expanding the definition of firebending with blue flames and lightning bending. The two of them really kind of are these incredible forces in book two that really go to change our perspectives on what we think we know about each bending style. However, one of the biggest differences I would argue is that whereas lightning bending has clearly like been around 
And it was something that was even more prevalent that we come to learn later, but it became something that was much more insular with the royal family and a lot of the elite in society. Toph completely invents metal bending. There is not anything, any kind of, uh, at least any evidence that we have seen at any point that metal bending was something that existed before. And I think a lot of that also is because metal was not a as big of a part of society as it was up to this point. Because of the Fire Nation, because of how much they developed and industrialized and made metal a core focus and a core element of all of that, it became such a focus, a focal point for the world as a whole at that time. And Toph suddenly broke through that and made that a huge part of not only earthbending as a whole, but especially for where things went with this season. So with this in mind, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this and I this idea of this kind of um, back and forth and uh, the balance between uh, or uh, kind of the comparisons between Toph and expanding earthbending with metal bending and Azula with expanding firebending with blue flames and lightning bending and how each of those characters kind of changed what we know about this season and redefined it. Well, I think probably the most surprising thing about Azula is the only thing that seems to give her her abilities is her hyper focus and perfection to where on the flip side of that, when we visit the sun temple, it definitely takes on a much more spiritual aspect, focusing on the traditional dragon stances. So it is kind of interesting that in a way these different techniques can be fueled differently by the bender because throughout the series, it keeps hinting that the stronger and more effective way, especially from what Iroh suggests, is focusing on the breathing and the much much more calmer, controlled, and spiritual aspect of bending, and that people like Zhao and Azula, the, the, the way they fuel their fire essentially is a little bit more dangerous. It's the difference between mm. using flash powder and gunpowder to write your name in the dirt and then set it on fire. One of them's going to burn <laughs> you eventually, and the other one is a little bit safer, just a little bit. Um, to where with Toph, it's, we don't really get that. This isn't necessarily, even though it's inter- it's weird, it's introduced in the Guru, but it's not necessarily a spiritual moment. It's literally Toph bashing into her problem head on and <laughs> discovering something, which is how she, how she greets her obstacles. I mean, let's be real, mm. is she smashes into him head first. So it's, it is almost kind of strange how Toph discovers metal bending. And in some ways, it makes sense that lightning bending would be something that goes further back. Lightning is something that naturally occurs to where uh, metal is something we have to create. Metal is initially part of ore and part of the earth, which at that form is probably actually easier to bend versus once we refine it. Um, so in a way, metal bending is not as natural a bending as lightning. So it makes sense that lightning bending already exists. And it makes sense that, of course, in a very monastic society that control would keep those powerful forms of bending up at the top and not really share Mm. secrets with the bottom until we see a revolution. But with Toph's metal bending, it was a really weird discovery because it's one of those things where instead of Toph growing more spiritual and, you know, leveling up as a bender and gaining access to these new abilities, she just bashes at this metal door until she's like, hey, there's the earth. That's what I'm looking for. Let's punch this a little harder. It's it's kind of funny because it's not how any other bender grows. This is literally just how Toph grows is by hitting things until they acquiesce to her. Mm. So uh, Fran just brought up in the stream chat as well. She says, I totally agree. It's kind of similar with Toph as well because Toph created metal bending only when she calmed down due to the fact that she was trapped in the box. She examined and focused on the element around her and then went full Mario Smash Brothers. <laughs> that is an yeah, excellent I, metaphor. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um, so it, it it really is interesting. And I, I when you were bringing up that point, Kristen, about how, you know, it's this dissonance between the guru having this kind of uh, spiritual 
manifesto that he's sharing with Aang and how with Toph, it's not really spiritual. It's just more her punching through. What that really reminded me of is what Korra does at the end of book one and how it's not really a spiritual breakthrough that gets her the ability to airbend. It is literally her just punching through. And I think it makes total sense that she goes on to have these interactions with Toph uh, because when she eventually meets her later in book three, it, it really is this idea that, I don't know. Or no, it's not until book four that she meets. Yeah, it's not until book four, my oh, yeah. goodness. Uh, but, it, you know, but it makes sense that she as an avatar would kind of connect with Toph because it is a lot of that similarity uh, between the two of them just kind of bashing their way through because it's much more of this like a hot headedness and like, you know, <laughs> like I'm not going to have anyone tell me what to do. I'm going to do it. Are you suggesting um, that Cora is a hard headed individual who's too stubborn? I mean, really? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> and that really is possibly. You heard my... it first here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my favorite moment too, where Toph kind of like in that final book of, of Korra where Toph and her meet and I'm just like, oh my God, this is like the perfect meeting of just these big headed giants who just are too big for their britches. And I was so excited for that. And I just loved watching Toph just rail on poor Korra because I was like, oh girl, <laughs> this is the original. You don't know what you're stepping into. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, so, uh, Kevin, how about you? Um, what would you say uh, in terms of kind of this comparison between uh, Toph expanding the definition of earthbending with metal bending and Azula expanding the definition of firebending with the blue flames and lightning bending? I have to say, I like the way that, that Fran put it. I mean, it, it was almost a, not to use this term, being the physicist in the room, it, it was a quantum leap. It was, <laughs> it was a whole different it wasn't a, you know, kind of a linear development where if you, you know, like in the, I'm currently playing Endless Frontiers, like no one's business, um, <laughs> where you just like you, you gradually level up and then you just become more powerful. Um, where, you know, lightning bending was known, it seems. We don't know how far back it was known. Um, but, you know, it's a new, it's definitely a skill that could be discovered. And I'm sure someone had to do what Toph did, which was literally discover it. Because mm -hmm. it isn't just being able to produce more fire, it's being able to produce a very, you know, different type of concentration when bending. Um, mm -hmm. So the fact that, she, you know, it's just so cool that she literally had to discover it and then build it. Um, and as, you know, they go further more into the comics and then later on, you know, it's like she actually builds this as a bending. If before, it's, you know, it's not just every earthbender can do this if they, you know, earthbend long enough. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a mindset change. Hmm. That's yeah, that's a great way to put it. And I think that that especially goes hand in hand with the way that uh, Iroh describes um, being able to lightning bend and how, you know, Zuko can't lightning bend, but it's, it's you know, Iroh describes it as being able to be at peace with yourself and being able to be able to kind of take those uh, elements inside your body and be able to channel that directly it is this kind of mindset that you have to be able to inhabit in order to uh, be able to utilize that technique yeah you can't just go leroy jenkins through it <laughs> yeah i mean that is an excellent way that she does that though <laughs> <laughs> yeah toff does leroy jenkins it through that metal box <laughs> more successfully though than actual Leroy Jenkins yes. does though. Let's be fair. Let's not let's not God cloud it, her Leroy. with let's not take away her success and the fact that she does survive to a very old age despite how she faces her problems. <laughs> At least I have possum chicken. <laughs> so um now as uh, I want to move away from book two, as we start to move into now book three, fire. Um, and one of the things I want to talk about first is Toph in this first half of book three. And two of the elements that we can kind of focus on are how we see her progression with her metal bending just over a little bit of the time skip that we get between book two and book three. And then her understanding her role in the fight against the Fire Nation. So as you guys were revisiting 
kind of toff in the beginning of book three. What was it that anything new insights that kind of uh, really jumped out at you? And I, I will kind of preface this with don't get too deep into the runaway because we are going to discuss that as more of a as a whole uh, because that is just such a toff centric episode. I do want to give that girl a shout out for Ember Island, though, when she made that bossing say sandcastle. I think. Yes. Oh, my God. I think that that was another thing that proves how far she's come, because think about her struggle with the library in the desert and her struggle with sand. If she was able to sand bend that castle as easily as she was of bossing say, I think that that is demonstrating how seriously she took that weakness and how much she is trying to work to overcome it to make sure she is never in that situation again. Because if she had the ability of Ember Island back when the library was an issue, she might have had a much easier time keeping Appa safe and keeping the tower from falling. So when I saw that, when I revisited that and watched that, I was like, holy smokes, this is like low key them going, hey, look, Toph's got this whole sand bending thing down already. It's been less than yeah. a year since she struggled with the library. It's been probably maybe like a, a month or two, like not very long. And yeah. boom, she has this, what looks like almost a mastery of sand bending already. It's, it's kind of incredible because she probably hasn't had that much exposure to sand since the library. And it makes mm. me wonder when she's had time to sit here and practice it. And if her them trudging through the desert kind of helped give her more insight or if there were like pieces of opportunities elsewhere. But obviously, I think this might have been an underlying thing that really bothered her. And this was demonstrating how she's progressing her earthbending as a whole in order to overcome her shortcomings. And I'm sure that her metal bending gave her a big boost to her confidence as far as mm. approaching her weaknesses as far as earthbending goes. Yeah, I, I don't think that metal bending not only just boosted her confidence, but I think it helped her understand Earth in a more uh, abstract way. Because so much of what we see in her uh, slamming her fists against the metal box for the first time and seeing those bits of ore amidst the, um, or like the, the Earth amidst the metal, I think it's her understanding like, okay, Earth isn't just like these larger chunks of earth or even just down to like the size of, you know, what she may have bent before, whether it's like small pieces of rock. I think getting an understanding of like, okay, I have to start thinking of earth for lack of a better term on the molecular, uh, on the molecular level in the idea that like, I have to think of it as these very, very, very small pieces that comprise earth and i think that the more she understood that through her Mm. metal banding it was just like okay that sand is just like lots of little tiny pieces of earth and that's how i just gotta be able to approach it focus (laughs) on that minutiae yeah i i agree i do think that she's taking on a more holistic view of earth and in a way it makes sense because think about it if she only earth bends in her hometown, that's the earth she's familiar with. As they travel, she's being exposed to new forms of earth, and it makes sense that she is now developing this holistic sense of earth, not just as, like you said, like the big pieces of rock or the ground itself, but looking at the various forms of earth, same way that bloodbending teaches us about different forms of water. Uh, mm. This sand and metal is, is giving her that more wholesome view of earth as a whole and what people can be capable of. I totally agree. Mm, definitely Kevin how about you I really like that view of looking at everything more holistically uh, with earth it's like you know looking at as you said kind of that you know it, it isn't just you know a block of marble it's that within the marble is the individual you know you know atoms I guess in a way or or components of the earth um, but I really like the point that that Kristen brought up in the other couple episodes which is that uh, if there's anything we learn from Toph is that she isn't to be viewed as a blind person. She's to be viewed as an earthbender. You know, that's, it's what she does. It's like, and she's learned to, you know, not just to compensate, but to, you know, excel given her situation. And I say, when I say situation, just, you know, she happens to be blind is the way it ends up being. And there's other things that she can do better than everybody else because of it. Um, but if there's one thing she doesn't like, it's not being able to do something. And I think when she wasn't able to, you know, especially, you know, in the desert to help save um, Appa or wasn't able to metal bend initially and then, you know, ultimately, you know, 
win the fight for Ba Sing Se, she doesn't like not being able to do things. If there's anything, one thing that bothers Toph, it's not being able to do something. And we've watching watching her um, start to take on all these other abilities, so that way she no longer could be caught um, unaware or off guard. I just love watching her development and her concentration towards that development. Like she has an end goal. She's like, no, I'm not here to do this to be, you know, just the best earthbender. She's like, I want to be the best and I want to be awesome at anything I do. Her goal is mm. to keep moving the goalpost. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Truly. That's a great point. <laughs> so now I want to get into for our last segment of this episode is one of the most Toph centric episodes of book three. And that is the runaway episode seven. This is of course, one of the most important bits of character development that we get from Toph as a character. Um, I'd say almost in the entirety of the show. Um, So I want to first talk about a few things. First is, of course, her clash with Katara's personality. We've talked about this over the course of this series, uh, discussing how Katara and Toph are great foils for each other um, and what that has meant, how they have both grown uh, from that and how character foils are meant to be able to do that. Then, of course, getting into... Uh, some of what Toph gets herself into. Obviously, the cup game uh, in the episode, her cheating. Um, and, and you even brought it up earlier, uh, Kristen, I believe, was that you know the idea of Toph being able to connect more with Aang and Sokka and bringing out the fun in the group versus Katara's sense of responsibility. Um, and then, of course, the slippery slope of her disregard to the law. Um, and all kind of culminating to this very, very powerful moment of Toph and Sokka having this heart-to-heart on the cliffside as Katara is in the water below listening. So, overall thoughts, keeping some of those things in mind, I want to get uh, some of your guys' thoughts uh, kind of going into this and uh, any new insights, especially revisiting this episode of The Runaway. Even though I gave Sokka a little bit of grief last time about not being good enough for Toph, I will admit Sof, Sof. <laughs> Sokka <laughs> makes a really great friend for Toph. You know, in, in the first series, in the comics, and even even some of the uh, flashbacks we get in Korra, Sokka has never once been extremely crucial or judgmental of Toph. If we look at the chase... Um, he's the only one that tries to stop Toph from leaving, and when Aang and Katara realize that they had overreacted, Sokka's over there sipping his tea going, yeah, you guys were pretty much jerks. So <laughs> he and he and Toph have this very special relationship that develops, and it's not just the whole Toph having a crush on Sokka. I think it's their level of understanding of each other, because they are the two most alike characters in the group, so it makes sense. You know, obviously Toph has her conflict with Katara, and like I established before, her and Aang tend to be, personality-wise, a little bit on the opposites. So Sokka really is kind of this uh, ideal connection for Toph in the group because they have the most in common. So when they're having their discussion in the episode together and Toph opens up to him and he opens up to her in return, I think it really kind of gives us a little insight as to how much those two have developed as friends and even even in other episodes too, like when Sokka finally gets his weapon master, he gives Toph that piece of meteorite, which we can acknowledge yes. is very special. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, Toph treats it as special because we learn later on she specifically leaves it behind when they get captured so that she doesn't lose it. Lose it. Even yeah. though it would have been mm. a perfect tool for their situation. So you know, it, completely ignoring the crush aspect. There's obvious, obviously a level of respect and connection between Sokka and Toph within the gang. And I think that as we progress in the season two, when the ultimate battle comes, or when there is the day of Black Sun, when Sokka loses it and Toph actually has to save his life twice, I think it really kind of helps underpin this very strong relationship these two have gained. And I really, 
really liked that discussion they let these two have in this episode because we're obviously missing a lot of development. There's gaps in time and they can't tell the story as richly as they want to because there's only so much time they have to write all these stories. And so they have to give us pieces and breadcrumbs of what's going on behind the scenes that we're missing. And this really kind of lets us in on this relationship that Toph and Sokka are developing together. And I was very appreciative of it. Mm. I love that point, especially uh, just kind of examining the connection between Toph and Sokka and uh, how that it really is dynamic. And I think that, again, it's this idea of uh, we were saying earlier, an ensemble cast, how you work with it and how you are able to just utilize these different characters to not only serve their purpose individually, but how they bring out new insights and new things between each of them. So uh, Fran uh, just messaged us on the stream saying, I think it's because uh, she considers Aang and Katara as authority figures, which she's never had a good experience with. Sokka may be the leader, but he treats everyone as an equal, including Toph. Uh, I love that. I think that's such a great point. And especially, you know, as we saw in Sokka's Master, he sees everyone as these incredible benders. And, you know, he has some of these issues of his own self-image. But once he gets over that, he understands his role and he is confident in that. And I think that that's something also that Toph would respect on a very, very deep level. And I want to comment on this because I, I told myself not to bring it up. But because Fran brought it up, I feel like I can say this now. <laughs> This is why I had a low-key shit between Toph and Suki, especially after Suki rescued her. Because, <laughs> I mean, as I said in the last episode, I love Sokka, but, you know, Toph could aim a little higher. And I would actually put Suki on Toph's level. Because just like Sokka, Suki is that mm. same type of leader. She's not somebody who is simply authoritative. She is an excellent listener. She is one of those people who would not ask others to do something she herself would not be willing to do. And, you know, I think that's why her and Sokka make a great compliment for each other, which is why I don't mind that they were shipped together. But as far as uh, characters go, I always kind of viewed Sokka... Saki. <laughs> I viewed Suki as a really great pairing for Toph. And there's a part of me that wishes that, you know, Avatar had been able to be as progressive with the original series as they were Korra, because I 100% would have been behind Toph and Suki. I felt like they would have been great for each other because, you know, Suki would never have been a motherly figure like, uh, you know, Katara was. And she's not super soft like Aang or overly emotional. And she's such a reasonable individual who's very insightful. And I felt like she would have been a perfect compliment for Toph. So that's my secret ship that I used to have back in the day. <laughs> I don't think I ever said it formally on the uh, on the forums. I mostly just kept it to myself because I literally never heard anybody else bring it up. But <laughs> I, I don't think I've seen it brought up. No, like even just with all the stuff like on Instagram and everything too. Like how is that not? Like you just saying that, it makes so much sense. Doesn't it? How has this not been a thing? So thank you, Fran, for giving me my gateway into <laughs> talking about my favorite ship. So what would be the ship name? Would it be would it be Tuki? No, or, no. Or Sof? Oh God, they're all awful. <laughs> Maybe this isn't a good ship. I don't know. <laughs> we'll just stick with Toph and Suki. Or Suki and Toph, depending on, you know, which one you want. But I just, I really think that they're both really great balances for each other because I consider Suki to be slightly more effeminine, but unafraid of more masculine presentation and vice versa. Toph's more masculine presenting, but dips her toes into that feminine side. I mean, they both are on different sides of the spectrum, but they're not extremes necessarily. Like I established with Toph, I think Toph is a little bit more moderate than people give her credit for. And Suki is obviously a very moderate individual because she's such an understanding and reasonable person. And so, you know, that's kind of where in my mind it reasoned out to be that they would be such a great uh, pair for each other because it just, in my head, I was like, it's perfect because Suki's very mature and Toph is struggling with her maturity because she finally has all this freedom and she wants to do more things that she wanted to do, which I think a lot of people understand who grew up in very 
confined and insular households is, and I had a friend who literally did this. He grew up in a very strict family household because he was diabetic. And while his brother got to gorge on candy and Halloween, his parents would have him like, let him have like one candy when Halloween rolled around and he struggled with it his whole life. And then once he got out of high school, he got this job at a pizza place and he would eat an entire piece of pizza and send himself to the entire piece of pizza, an entire mm. pizza and send himself <laughs> to the ER just because he couldn't control himself. He had been so confined by the restrictions of his family and upbringing that he went mm. a little too crazy when he got out into the adult world and it ended up hurting him as an adult. And I feel like mm. in a way that's kind of what has happened with Toph a bit when she's first basically let loose is Toph wants to do too much. And the runaway is a great example of this. This is Toph going too mm. far in her actions and it's coming back to bite her. And that's why I find Suki to be the perfect mesh is Suki has, while Suki's still young, she's obviously a little bit more mature again, without being motherly, which kind of makes her that perfect individual in my mind. So I'm, I'm going to get off the ship, but I just, I wanted to bring that up. <laughs> uh, let's just say I am so glad that this, uh, that this ship came into port because I am all for it. I am so enthusiastic about it. Uh, our, our stream chat has been blowing up with uh, Fran, like losing her mind about this. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll have to see if I yeah. can like, uh, commission character art from all these artists who are producing all this great content because now I want it. Uh, So the last thing I I will want to say on that, and then I want to get your thoughts on this too, Kevin, is that I think that what you were describing uh, with this uh, kind of balance between uh, Suki and Toph is kind of what we see in uh, the rise of Kyoshi between Kyoshi and Rangi uh, and kind of their relationship that kind of develops there. So I feel like that's a little bit, maybe that's uh, maybe that's where they wanted to like uh, kind of uh, continue that on. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> so much fangirling uh, Fran, happening right now. I know, I know. Uh, Fran said that she is going to be doing a video on this. Uh, so we are going to make sure that we uh, share this, uh, share that when that goes live oh because God. I'm very excited to see her thoughts if on that. If she needs somebody to fangirl with, I will definitely just <laughs> rant for like an hour with her over this because this has been something that's been in my heart for years that I've basically never really shared and if there's anybody else who's behind me on this I will greatly rant away with them I I am excited for this ship to take the fandom by storm and the recommended ship name that we just got from Fran as well is Taki maybe we can keep workshopping it I, I like it it's, it's already better than the other two all that matters. <laughs> Anything true. is better than soft. <laughs> yeah, you know, so. that one's just we're just gonna pass on that one and why don't you just yeah. edit that out and let's never let it see the light of day <laughs> and just move on with our lives. Oh my goodness. So, Kevin, I, some of your thoughts in terms of where Toph is here in The Runaway, uh, the clash that she has with Katara, um, the kind of uh, just repressed feelings that really kind of come out during this uh, that lead to her uh, kind of dipping her toe in this kind of delinquent lifestyle. And uh, where, where uh, I don't know, any new insights that you got from that? I feel like I shouldn't even say anything after what just went down. That we should just dedicate all our resources to this. I'm so this sorry, Kevin. That we found. I just derailed us. Oh, are you us. kidding? This whole time, I'm like, how am I going to contribute to this section? And then you went through that, and I'm like, I'm not contributing to this section. It's all been, it has been explored really, really well. Oh my goodness, I'm excited to see more on this. I guess uh, steering into something different with her in the Runaway. I, I like that. This is kind of the, you know that. And we had a bigger blowout in season two between her and Katara. This was kind of like a pseudo, like, tough, like, you know, being like, you know what? I want to go do tough things. I want to go do what I want to do. And her going off and doing it. But I do love the, I do enjoy, though, the relationship that her and Sokka have. Because as we said, like, Sokka's that, um, it's my personal view of, I, I think, the best form of leadership right now is servant leadership. Which is described, as Kristen said, it, it's listening. And when you listen to the team and what they bring to the table, you can work on other solutions. And Sokka is the master of that. I don't think Sokka has ever dismissed anybody's words or plans or discussion with him. He's a very open character in that way. Um, 
so even see Toph finding someone that she feels like she can actually open up to with that was, you know, a very revealing thing for her. Um, but I just, I just enjoyed that. It, then like she gets to play like a bit of like, uh, the, oh, like a heist movie type of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is them dipping their toe into a heist movie. And I'm like, this is fun. Um, I love a good heist. Yeah. It's like Ocean's but, Eleven, uh, but for Avatar. But for Avatar, yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, if anyone watches Brooklyn Nine Nine, they just did a well. It was a Who Done It episode, but I love their their heist episodes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but as as with everything, I do enjoy that the the show brings around that bit of hubris later with the wood. Like, mm. oh yeah, yes. you guys are pretty awesome benders, but <laughs> yeah, um, where they thought they had it all solved, and then it's like, okay, it's like, look, you guys are amazing. But, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, having, you know, not thinking things fully through when you're inside the Fire Nation is uh, the way to go. But it was an enjoyable episode. But I, I did like getting to see her being like, you know, like the whole, uh, as you, you mentioned here, the, the slope from her just being like, oh, well, I just played with the, that game. And then and then turning more into like Toph's like um, kind of anti-establishment type of feelings, I guess, to a degree. Um, yeah. Where she doesn't like, just, she just doesn't like being contained. If there's anything Toph yeah. hates, it's being contained. <laughs> and laws are containments for her. At least especially when they're stupid. Um, <laughs> I completely agree, though. You're right. They're basically just metal barriers that she's going to try to smash through. It's a completely valid point. A great point. Exactly. It's just something else she has to figure out so that way she can smash through it. <laughs> Which is just, it's one of the most delightfully ironic things that Toph goes on to be the chief of police in Republic City. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'll uh we're gonna get more into that with our next episode because we're gonna start talking about kind of Toph in the comics and how the glimpses that we get of her uh kind of during this in-between point, uh what that leads to uh and how she kind of transforms and uh, just what she becomes in this kind of new world post uh, hundred year war. So um, I just kind of want to do final thoughts. Um, anything that you guys have just based on our discussions today and what we saw from Toph in uh, book three and uh, anything else that you kind of want to end on that also goes for uh, Amanda and Fran. If you guys want to um, add in any of your thoughts in the chat, we'd love to be able to share that as well uh, during kind of this final thought roundup. Go ahead, Kevin. I'm I'm just gonna sit uh, here and rant. No, man. I was gonna say, I, I, well, yeah, yeah. Wait for that, and because I want I want to hear your your finality to this. Oh God! Um, <laughs> All right. I know, I know. You've already you've already dumped so much into this like discussion. With, my heart my brain and soul. Uh, <laughs> um, I just enjoy I enjoyed going through this and seeing more into you know how Toph works with the world and mm. how her you know again like this sense of you know different confinements on her and how she doesn't care for that because i think what i love most about her character going through season two and the three is the fact that you know uh who was it um i think it was reggie jackson when he went to the yankees from the uh a's uh he said that uh i'm the straw that stirs the drink i think that's tough tough is the straw that stirs mm. the drink she's the one that she adds this cr- awesome dynamic to the gang um in terms of, uh, you know, the action she brings, the the thought that she brings. I mean, she's just Banff. Like, she she is tough. I, actually, I shouldn't yeah. call her Banff because that would be taking it away. It, she toffs it. <laughs> she toffs everything. Toff is 100% a verb. Yeah. <laughs> she's going to toff right through this. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I, I completely agree with you, Kevin, on, on that front, too. And just how she adds so much to this group dynamic. Um, not only to make them a well-rounded bending team that is just so incredibly capable. Again, echoing what we discussed last episode when they went in to, uh, at, you know, storm the Earth King's palace. But then we also could see it again in, you know, the end of uh, book three when they are all training and we just get to see that like, you know, they're all working together well, but who else are they going to have to like be their, like their enemy that they have to like get past? Of course it is Toph, AKA Melon Lord. Yes, Melon Lord. (laughs) Oh my God. I cannot tell you how much I love that. The first time I saw that, I nearly tattooed that Melon Lord, the thing she made to my body at one point. I was so close, so close. That girl, 
she is just everything I wanted in a character, basically, because I really love Sokka, but Sokka is also not relatable enough for me. And it's not just that he's a dude. I'll be fair, it's not because he's a dude. But just because Sokka is very... His, his struggles weren't relatable for me because I'm definitely not a leader type person. I don't like being mm. in leadership roles. I love being supportive of people in leadership roles. I love being somebody to, uh, you know, bounce ideas off of, but I am not somebody who likes to necessarily take charge. So when I was watching the series at that point in my life where I was just this very, like, leave me alone and leave me to my devices kind of person, when they introduced Toph, I was just like, this is me. <laughs> this is 100% mm. me. She is the best character in the world and nobody can change my mind. And this episode, you know, as we've established, was really a great turning point. And it's for multiple reasons. And a lot of it is them trying to show that evolution of the group. And, you know, I already discussed the part with Sokka, but what was really important in that moment was that Katara also heard it. And in hearing that, she broke away from how she traditionally handles things. And for once, instead of her trying to make Toph being accepting and mold herself to the group, instead Katara decided to mold herself to Toph and take Toph, uh, you know, a piece of Toph's playbook <laughs> and, and use it. And in trying to be more Toph-like, I think this is what also helped Katara do a Toph where she decided to sweat her way out of jail. You know, she, yes. <laughs> I, I 100% attribute that move to Toph using her sweaty armpits because it was one of those disgusting things that she had verbally been like, ew, this is gross. But now suddenly she's like in this room with Toph. And I think that Toph really brings out the best in some of the characters because she makes them think outside of the box because she is not an in the box character. She's not in their box. She's not in anybody's box. Toph lives in her own box that just occasionally overlaps with other people. But you know, she really does give these guys the ability to be more creative. And while talk, talk, <laughs> while Sokka has traditionally been seen as the creative character, I don't think Toph is necessarily as creative of Sokka from an artistic standpoint, but creative as in a great problem solver, not just because of her head on way of doing things, but because she can help inspire others to act outside of their own boxes and take a different route to approach things. And I think that this episode kind of helps display part of her role in the team, not just as an earthbender, but also as a character who helps bring out a different side in others and makes them think differently so that they can grow as individuals too. Mm. Well put. Excellently said. I, I agree. And I love especially the point that you brought up about her inspiring Katara in that scene. Because yeah, it's it's like Katara gets Katara gets dirty. <laughs> and she's just <laughs> like, all right, I'm gonna use what I gotta use. And very much in the same way when Toph was trapped in that metal box, all she had was a metal around her and just made it work. <laughs> uh so we're going to uh conclude with a point that um Fran uh, included in the stream chat. So here are her final thoughts on uh, Toph here, what we discussed. She says, I think Toph is a really interesting and interesting, well-rounded character who worked on herself quietly, struggled in silence, and persevered because she couldn't accept help. But as she grew as a person, she was able to accept help when she needed to and became a true member of the team, even ending up with a truly close relationship with Katara, who she butts heads with uh, so much to begin with, trained Aang and made him stronger, and Sokka, who helped her open up. She went from the girl with no one and believed she didn't need anyone to the girl who wants friendships to last a lifetime. <laughs> well said. Very well said. I cannot agree more. More than one yeah. lifetime. Um, <laughs> and uh we'll also do a uh, a quick plug too um fran also has done a video if you all are interested in checking out a uh, character study on toff called toff and the importance of acceptance uh so we'll also uh do a shout out on our social media for that but be sure to uh check out her youtube page there uh, of course if any of you don't know she has been a frequent contributor to the show on top of being a patron so uh definitely uh, go uh, support her her channel and check that out 
and appreciate the uh, final point that you're able to uh, bring and the insight you're able to lend today. So, uh, yes, thank that, you. Yes. Uh, so that is going to round out our discussion in our uh, third episode of our Toph Deep Dive. Um, we are going to be returning next week uh, with a discussion on Toph in the comics and, again, how she evolves and changes and what that is going to lead into with Toph in uh, kind of Legend of Korra and what we see from her in there. So, uh, again, Kristen, Kevin, thank you both so much for joining me today and the wonderful insights that you shared. Yay. Oh, thanks for having us. Yes. My girl. <laughs> Yes. Um, and then, a, again, a special thanks to uh, all of our patrons who help support the show and for Amanda and Fran for joining us uh, on our live stream today and engaging with us in the discussion. And remember, folks, if you want to, uh, I think we're going to be doing more of this in terms of being able to live stream these discussions because I loved having this back and forth, uh, getting these new points from Fran uh, and from Amanda as well. It's a really wonderful uh, dialogue. And that also goes to say, if you have additional points, things that you uh, are thinking of while listening to this, any insights on top that you would like to hear us discuss, please reach out to us. You can either uh, kind of direct message us on Instagram, message us on Facebook, or email us at legendofportalcast at gmail.com. Um, and remember, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram, Legend of Portalcast, on Twitter at Portalcast Pod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Legend of Portalcast. Thank you all so much again for listening. All hail the new ship of the century between Toph and Suki. My goodness, it is about to take the world by storm. But for now and until next time. Hey, let us.